This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, May 27th, 2021, and my guest is the excellent Corbin Davenport of XDA. Hi, Corbin. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Wonderful. So this week's been a little quiet in terms of news. I've tried to kind of scrape away at the best stuff I could find. I've added a couple of news items from last week because last week was a crazy packed show. We didn't have a chance to get through everything. And I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on the first thing, which is really kind of like the Zen phone. I don't know if you've looked at the reviews, if you have a device yourself, but I've had the chance to play with a Zen phone 8, the small one for a few days now and i'm actually reviewing it for hot hardware and i'm pretty impressed i think my unboxing video said something like tiny but mighty or something so mm-hmm. thoughts on that yeah um i haven't tried the zen phone 8 the last asus phone i tried was the rog phone 2 and i liked that for the most part but it was it was absolutely massive like I could, this was a, it was a brick in my pocket. And then usually I want to put a case on something. So it was just, it was, it was absurdly massive. Uh, but of course the Zen phone eight is a smaller phone, so it doesn't have that problem. Um, but yeah, it, it, it looks good. I, I generally like smaller phones. Like my main phone right now is a, just the regular S 21. So this is definitely more what I would go for. Well, you know, speaking of which, I was just writing my hardware section for my review yesterday, and it scales just below the Galaxy S21 and S20 from the year before in terms of size. So it's actually just like about, I'd say, I think like less than a centimeter in, in height, less, but a little, just a little narrower, but it's actually thicker. So if you look at the uh, S21, it's a little thinner, but just a slightly bigger footprint. It's very close. Um, in fact, it's slightly bigger than an iPhone SE 2020. It's about the same size as a Pixel 4 or a Pixel 5. So that's one thing that I thought was interesting. It's that, you know, you have a phone here that is actually a lot more compact than you think. And you know the other thing that occurred to me, Corbin, that I had no idea about after actually putting them side by side, even though I reviewed them separately, that the Pixel 4a and the Pixel 5 are almost the same size. Hmm. It's crazy. Like, it doesn't seem intuitive because the screen sizes are different. Right. But because of the amount of bezel, the Pixel 5 is actually almost to the millimeter the same size as the Pixel 4a. It's a small effing phone. Mm-hmm. No wonder I never switched to it. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a small phone. You do like a small phone? Yeah, like, I, like I've been trying the, um, the A52 lately, and it's, it's, a, it's a good deal bigger than the um s21 it's i think it's some i think i looked at it somewhere between like the s21 plus and ultra so it's a it's a little bit of a chonker yeah let's talk about that phone in a minute so for me the zen phone 8 honestly um it's not for me because i like a bigger phone not a huge phone like i i my sweet spot right now it seems to change you know there was a time when my sweet spot was 4.3 inches like 15 years ago or something. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt, listeners. But 
My sweet spot right now is 6.67. So if you have a phone that has very little bezel and has a 6.67 inch screen with a tall aspect ratio like 20.5 by 9 or 21 by 9, that's kind of what I'm I want something narrow but tall, lots of scroll room, but not too big in hand. And as you all know, I'm rocking still my OnePlus 8 Pro right now. I'm still trying to decide if what I'm going to do next because I can't make up my mind. Also, after having Max Weinbach on last week, uh, we talked about the Pixel 6. Apparently, that got picked up by a whole bunch of people. I, I didn't feel like Max was telling us anything particularly new. But anyway, people freaked out about that podcast. It's so funny. But it's interesting because... The Pixel 6 looks like it might be my next phone, but I don't know if I want to hang on to my OnePlus 8 Pro until then. I mean, I have a OnePlus 9 Pro. I'm just too lazy to switch. Like, Corbin, are you the same as me that you don't want to switch phones because it's too much work like your main phone? Like, I'm just like, once a year, I'm switching. That's about it. Yeah, that's that's definitely the most repetitive part of this process is, you know, oh boy, I get to log into four different Slacks again. It's It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it gets yeah. it gets a little it gets a little tiring yeah so. that's kind of why i avoid it and for me it's like banking apps and you know other things i just i just don't want to deal yeah. with it so i'm being very selective and so you know i skipped the pixel 4 xl the year before because it didn't have a fingerprint sensor and for me a lot of my apps i, I require authentication by fingerprint and i like it that way and so then i was like well i'll get the pixel 5 but then the pixel 5 is too small for me the pixel 4a 5g is the perfect size for me but it's you know doesn't have wireless charging which is one of the requirements that for me is kind of essential i mean it's not essentially essential in the saying that i can live without it but i have so much wireless charging a universe in my life that I kind of wanted and need it. And yeah, so I, I was very conflicted last year. So I ended up switching the OnePlus 8 Pro, my first time using a OnePlus as a daily drive, even though I love their phones. And honestly, it's been a great experience, but it's too big. So let's go back to the 6.67 inch. It's too big for me. Um, and I want something just a little bit smaller and more compact. Not much, like maybe just a few millimeters shaved off the edges and the top. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of playing with all those flagships this year and I can't, I really can't make up my mind. It's been like very troubling. My friends are making fun of me that as a phone expert, I can't make up my mind about my own phone this year. And now I feel bad because they're kind of right. I should just bite the bullet. But the Pixel 6 looks great. And so back to the Zen Phone 8, it's too small for me and it's missing wireless charging. Really, these are the only two things I can fault it for. This thing is awesome it is so fast so compact so capable the cameras are on point i mean it doesn't have a telephoto so you have to kind of zoom in with the uh 64 megapixel but it's a sony imx mm-hmm. 686 so it's actually got a lot of uh pretty good isp oomph behind it with the snapdragon 888 and honestly i'm getting some pretty good results at like 2 3x zoom it doesn't just you know pixel bin and then uh what's it called like give you kind of like a digital zoom on top of that. It actually uses the individual pixels of that 64 megapixel matrix to do some clever zooming. So the only thing it can't do a very good job with is like the, all that rainbowing effect that you get from the quad buyer filter. But actually, overall, other than a bit of banding of the colors, when you zoom in on that thing, you get a lot of details. I'm really surprised. You know, there's two implementations out there. I don't know if you've noticed that, of the zooming with these large pixel arrays where they either are pixel binning first and then doing a stupid digital zoom which looks like crap or they're actually using the individual pixel to do the zooming and then they're kind of doing some kind of clever you know sub pixel thing and that's the more expensive 
CPU-wise expensive or complicated way of doing it, but it's not really, in my opinion, that bad because the results speak for themselves. So that's what it's doing. And yeah, I mean, honestly, if you want a small phone that's a flagship spec and performance and has a beautiful screen, this is the phone. Like, I can't think of anything else. S21, of course, but it's slightly bigger. And then, you know, Pixel 5, that's the 765, which is a little long in the tooth. Have you noticed that the Pixels really don't, the, the current set, like the 4A, 5G, and the 5, really don't perform that well, especially once you start using them for a while? Do you have any of them? Uh, no, the last, the, the newest Pixel I have is the 3A XL, and that's, that's my Android beta phone. That's the one that gets sacrificed every <laughs> March to run the beta software. Um, but yeah, I know there was a update a few months ago that helped with, especially the GPU performance. There was some bug in, in Android that was making it slower than it was capable of running and they fixed that. Um, but yeah, like the, the 700 series, that's, that's still, that's almost flagship, but still not quite. So it's always going to be a little bit behind anything that has the yeah, but you know, it's funny because my first introduction to the 765G was with the Nord, the original Nord mm -hmm. from OnePlus. And that thing was a screamer. You could put it side by side with the OnePlus 8 and you could literally like slow-mo record them and you could barely notice a difference in, in, yeah. in response. I mean, I intuitively knew that OnePlus had, of course, put their magic sauce in there, right? But at the same time, I'm like, that 765 is no slouch. And sure enough, it's been a mixed bag. I've had some 765 phones that really sang and some that were kind of like meh. And the Pixels, I think, are somewhere in the middle. They're not terrible by any stretch. But when you come from, say, a Pixel 4 XL and you go to a Pixel 5, you're like, uh, this isn't what I want. And, you know, for me, com coming from a OnePlus 8 Pro that's a year old SoC now, even to a Pixel 5, I notice it immediately. It's like, forget about it. So yeah. I'm glad to see that asus did this where they just didn't hold any punches they just went nuts the version they sent me is 16 gigs of ram and 256 gigs of storage i know there's a 6 gig and an 8 gig and a 16 gig version but holy crap like i don't need 16 gigs of ram but you know what it does help for is kind of like this pre pre-loading of apps that they do where they i think they create a ram disk and they stick the apps in there they use the most commonly and they run them from there rather than from storage and it gives you that super instant response when you tap on the app uh, i know oneplus does that but i wouldn't be surprised if asus does that too because who needs 16 gigs of ram frankly <laughs> yeah especially when like this isn't like pcs where we're we're slowly going up the the ramp of like minimum accepted ram like there are still a lot of android phones that have like four gigs and all the app developers still have to make sure their apps run on the four gigs so we're not we're not quite at that stage yet it's it's mostly just bragging right yeah hey so you're a software engineer like i used to be before i made I was a journalist and I'm wondering, like, how do you feel about this kind of proliferation of RAM on phones? Like, I feel like six gig is my bare minimum that I need. Eight gig is comfortable for my use. But I think that anything over that still today, and this has been the case for a couple of years now, seems to be too much. Unless you want to do that RAM disk thing or whatever, that turbo app start thing, whatever they're doing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, definitely there's, yeah, the, so the, the the thing with phones is that they're still built around doing one thing at a time, mostly. Right. 
So, yeah. right. So like, you know, with computers, you know, you've got all these Chrome tabs open that are all like Chrome does a little bit of like, we're going to pause this process if you haven't gone to it in a while and that sort of thing. But generally like more RAM is, is absolutely more helpful with the kinds of stuff most people use PCs for, but phones and the apps on phones are still optimized for doing one thing at a time, right? Like when you use like Chrome on a phone, it's going to like, it pause, it stops the, the tabs you're not looking at pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's not really a, I, I'm not sold on a use case for a, a phone with 16 gigs of Ram quite yet. Maybe like if you want to play the, games that are being ported more from like PCs and consoles like Fortnite or something. But again, like those are still being built with the six gig and eight gig phones in mind. Cause that's what's, that's, what's being used. All developers have to build for the, the lowest common denominator with yeah, the software. Yeah. So no one, yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it's like in the before times when you'd have a computer with 32 megs of Ram, but all the software is still being built for eight megabyte Ram PCs. Yeah, like right. it's not the 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 hardware is accelerating faster than the the software can really do much with it. And I, th I think especially on phones, it's definitely more of like a spec war. Mm -hmm. Like we're just we're just bumping up these numbers because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, look, this Zenfone again. If you want a small phone and you want all the features and you can live without wireless charging, but the only thing I can think of that I, I wish this thing had, and I I'll, I'll argue that a telephoto would have been nice. But, you know, Samsung's cheating on the S21 with the telephoto. A 64 megapixel sensor that's cropped and zoomed at 1.1x is not, in my eyes, a telephoto. I don't care how you cut it. It just doesn't perform as well as even the Galaxy S20 FE, in my opinion, that has a real telephoto and a much lesser 8 megapixel sensor. So, you know, I, I think Asus made the right call to not put a telephoto in there and not do a half-assed job at it. And then the rest of it is great. It does, um, you know, 4K video recording with the front camera, which you don't see very often on other than iPhones and Samsung phones. Like, it seems like every flagship out there doesn't do, you know, 4K on, on Android land on the front. And I don't care myself, but a lot of people I know do a lot of selfie videos and they care. And so a lot of them are creators that use them on their YouTube channels and stuff. So you know, it's nice to see that others are doing it. Like OnePlus still doesn't have 4K video on the flagships, but they have it on the Nord, which is like like last year's original Nord, which is like, what? Right. So stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, it's got a 4,000 milliamp hour battery and 30 watt wire charging. And the 30 watt wire charging, because it's a smaller-ish battery, is actually very nice. It goes very quick at 30 watt. But I have to say, Corbin, battery life is not this phone's strength. Like, it's not horrible, but if I peg the display at 120 hertz, I can't run a whole day. If I peg it at 90, it's fine. There's actually three physical settings in there, 60, 90, and 120. And then there's a dynamic setting, but it's not what you have on the Galaxy S21 Ultra. It's not that super, you know, low refresh to one hertz sort of deal. It's more like, um, I think it's kind of, keeping it at 60 and then ramping up to 120 when it needs to. And that's not acceptable to me. I need something that is much more dynamically responsive. So I set it to 90 for now, and that seems to be holding for a day. But yeah, you know, warning that if you buy this phone, battery life could be a problem. And I guess I'm coming from really large phones, especially Chinese phones that have massive batteries that last two days right now. So I'm really noticing on Zenfone 8 
that doesn't mean it's a bad phone. So yeah, but that's exactly why I think they should have added wireless charging to it because, you know, you could just put on a pad here and there whenever you want and while you're at your desk or something and you'd yeah. be topped up, you know? Yeah. Bat- battery life is definitely more of a, that that's a struggle on the smaller phones in general. I, I A lot of these bigger phones, they, you know, they have more physical room for a bigger battery. For than, sure. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that's always that's always a struggle when you go back to the smaller phones. It's like, oh, I can reach the whole screen with one thumb, but also my phone lasts like a four, like two thirds of a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pretty bad. At the end of my time using my Pixel Three XL, the battery was shot enough that I could get you know about half a day from it, and right. <laughs> that was unbearable for me. And this was in the before times, pre-pandemic, so when I was actually using my phone a lot more. But I, I think that, you know, this is borderline, but if you're not like a hardcore user, like that's constantly on your phone all day, I think you'll be okay. Especially if you kind of either run in dynamic mode or set it to 90 Hertz. So overall, look, I'm impressed with this phone. I just think that more, I want to see more small phones that are flagship that really have no compromises in that sense, the S21, other than the kind of like iffy telephoto, you know, wireless charging, it has all the bells and whistles, but it's starting to get a little big in my, in my world, I think, uh, for what mm-hmm. I consider to be a small phone, like think of the Xperia compacts back in the day. It's like the Xperia 5 Mark II and the upcoming 5 Mark III are really compelling phones, in my opinion, in terms of size, but I feel that they're still too big. Like they're not in the really compact phone category. Like they're just a little right. bigger than that. So I think there's no magic pill here. If you're on Android and you don't want, obviously you don't want an iPhone, the Zenfone 8 is going to be your savior if you want a rock solid, oomphy, powerful phone that doesn't compromise too much. Yeah, I will say my, I, th- I think still my favorite phone in recent history was the Galaxy S10e because oh, it was yeah. like that small phone that really didn't have any con- like it was waterproof it had wireless charging it had the big boy Snapdragon 800 series chip it was just on on the the camera wasn't as good as it could be and also I, it might have just been my unit but my battery life was getting was getting pretty bad near the end i think i think that was more just because i got one of the international ones so it didn't really have all the hardware to connect well to us networks but right. that was i really liked that phone if samsung made a like just made that phone again but with updated hardware and software i would 100% buy it yeah no that makes perfect sense the 10e was a great phone i want to transition to the next topic which might be related to some of the things i mean pc you write for pc gamer as well as xda and pc gamer is obviously pcs and gaming but this is mobile and gaming uh on the subject of asus the rog phone 5 is finally officially available in the us now so i just you know wanted to let folks know if you've been jonesing after this pretty awesome gaming phone it looks like my colleagues at hot hardware rated it to be the fastest phone on the planet today if you want that phone it's now available in the us uh, let me look at the pricing real quick here. I think it's, you know, pretty reasonable, all things considered. $999 for the entry model, which is still already a monster. So, yeah, there you go. What do you think of yeah. gaming phones as a PC gamer writer? 
Yeah, I had so I had the the ROG two, and again, like that was a, like I liked using it, but not really for any of the gaming stuff. I just liked that it had it had a giant battery. It had front facing stereo speakers, which I haven't ever I haven't used any other phone that had that. It's the speakers were great, um, and it still had a Type C port. It had a headphone jack. I don't think this one has a headphone jack, but. Like it was, it was a good phone. I I don't really do a lot of mobile gaming. Um, like the most I'll do is like Pokemon Go and the occasional, uh, Civilization Six that came out on Android a little while ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think it's a valid thing though? Like, I mean, obviously it is. Some people are buying these phones; they're still not going right. away. But I'm just saying, like, as somebody who covers gaming on the PC side, you know, obviously PC gaming rigs are a thing. Like, people want that, and they have that, and there's a whole culture around it. I think that's developing with mobile. But it's arguable that you could say you could use your S21 right as a gaming phone and. Other than maybe shoulder buttons and a high refresh rate or higher than you already have refresh rate display or maybe touch sensitivity of the display in terms of frequency, I'm not sure there's much to gain from a gaming phone. And that's kind of why I'm wondering, where do you feel we are there right now? Do you think there's going to be a rift growing between these two categories of a flagship versus a gaming phone? Do you think we're going to see some dedicated gaming chips soon that are just not making sense on a flagship phone, but making sense on a gaming phone? I don't know. See, this th- this is the, the issue as, as long as this gaming phone category has existed is that they're using the same chips as the flagships because th- these are both aiming for the same thing, which is just, fast as possible performance there there is a little bit more of a divide asus is really getting into the gaming software features like their you know like you said the the buttons on the phone and some overlay stuff but also like asus is as i understand it they're also porting a lot of that to just their normal phones and samsung also is kind of doing that where they don't they don't have like a gaming phone but they have like an overlay thing when you play games yeah, on a, a, on game a galaxy mode. phone yeah yeah totally yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I'm I'd I'd like to see more of a riff cuz I I there's definitely value in this category, but just with how smartphone development is, I I don't think it's going to happen. Like you can't there's you can't really have like an external GPU. Right. <laughs> with with smartphones at least as as they are now. And the the other caveat here is that if you want a gaming phone, I think an iPhone is probably still the best option unless you want to play Fortnite or, or something. Especially when the iPhone 13 is going to add 120 hertz, which right. is the only thing really missing from the iPhone right now. But everybody I've talked to, a lot of my colleagues in mobile I say, are agreeing with you that the iPhone is the better gaming phone right now if you just want pure performance. Right. Yeah. Especially since App Store developers are a little bit more willing to bring more like i don't want to say premium but like console quality type games to ios Mm -hmm. like um civilization 6 which i love on pc that came out on ipads like two years before android i think Um, wow and the same pattern happens with a bunch of other games like they go for ios first not only because it's it's just a better experience because it's going to run the games better but also because that that market segment has always been more willing to pay money for apps than most android users 
For sure. And we see this whole battle between Epic and Apple happening right now. And it's not something I necessarily want to cover because I don't really care so much. But th this battle is happening because of, in part because of that. So it's interesting. I want to transition to A52 review. Uh, Samsung Galaxy A series is the bread and butter of Samsung. So we're going to get to that. But I want to first thank my first patrons on Patreon. I finally got my Patreon up and running last week. And uh, I want to thank a couple of folks here that have been really generous. So thank you, Niv. And thank you, Jagana. I think I'm saying your name properly for being my first two patrons. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll have more content. Those of you who are wondering uh, the details of the Patreon at the end of the show, but it's patreon.com slash tankgirl, T-N-K-G-R-L, just like my Twitter handle. And you get to see this podcast and video ahead of time before the audio drops unedited i mean i'll cut out the stuff that's like under embargo or you know any major mistakes we make but like i don't edit it other than that and so it's raw it's video you know and you know you should check it out there's a tier on patreon for that and then there's a tier for the discord chat if you want to chat with me from time to time and a bunch of other things so check it out thanks to the patrons and thanks to patreon so, Galaxy A52 5G, what are your thoughts? Should you buy this phone instead of an S-series? It's, it's really good. Um, I tried the A51 last year, and that was also a very good phone. And this year, and I, I believe that was Samsung's best-selling phone of 2020. So it wasn't any of the S phones or the Notes or anything. It was A51. So I tried the A52. The review is going up on XDA at some point. I think I need to do more editing, but um, it's a it's a really good phone. It's got again like the size. I, I think is somewhere between uh, an S twenty one and an S twenty one plus, I believe. Um, but it's got the so this year there's there's two variants. There's the four G and the five G one. The five G one is are they is, different or is just done? They are physically the same. Most of the hardware is the same. The only differences are the 4G is 90 hertz only, but this is okay. 120 hertz. Can you show us the back for those patrons yes. that are watching? Look at it. It does look a lot like s S20 from last year, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got that same like um, plastic that kind of looks like matte glass, but it's 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 entirely plastic. And the yeah, so the 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 build is it's okay. I noticed the. Uh, the frame around the phone maybe doesn't have the strongest glue in the world, but I think most people probably throw cases on these, so it's it's not a deal breaker. Tell us about the specs. Like, what are we looking at? Um, what are you sacrificing versus an S20? For example, do you get wireless charging on this phone? No wireless charging, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, the 5G one has a Snapdragon 750G, so a little bit of an older chip, but still very fast like i i went from an s21 to this and i really didn't tell any speed difference except when i use like android auto where it okay. was a little bit slower but still really fast um it's got I that believe, was not the app i was expecting you to say was the difference <laughs> like honestly yeah well like again like i don't like, like like i don't play a lot of games so my phone is like i'm watching youtube i'm uh responding to slack messages i'm you know checking news feeds so with all that stuff it's it's pretty close especially because of the 120 hertz screen 
it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me that they can put that in a five hundred dollar phone now, especially considering most TVs and computers are still sixty hertz. But yeah, it's got seven fifty G. It's got USB C. It's got a headphone jack, so it's better than the Note twenty Ultra in one regard. Uh, it comes with Android eleven with Samsung's One UI stuff on top. Uh, it should get three, Samsung calls it three generations of Android updates. So assuming right. nothing changes, that should be like Android 12, 13, and 14. So the the software update alone really makes this stand out from anything else you can buy. Because really the only other phones you can get with that long of a life would be a Pixel, like a Pixel A, whatever A you buy recently, uh, or an iPhone. Like the, that, this is around the same price as the new iPhone SE. Okay. So that's really impressive. Cameras are, are pretty good. It's got a main camera. It's got a ultra wide. I don't have the resolutions in front of me. <laughs> and, um, and then it has a five megapixel macro, which is not helpful for <laughs> any. That's that. I think that's the, we need, we need a f- camera. We need a phone with three cameras. But does the macro have autofocus? Cause that at least saves it then. Uh, I think I, I, I don't take many photos with them. I love macro <laughs> photography, but they're just, they're always pointless <laughs> on these phones. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, it really depends if you have a, some of the flagships have the ability to use their ultra wide as a macro, like the one plus nine series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously because you have a large and nice sensor, you get a pretty good result. Right. But I found right. that for me, there's a big difference between like the, what I call sticker cam. Like it could be a sticker, but it's a cam, like two megapixel fixed focus macro where you actually have to adjust the focal length and it's impossible because it's already a macro. So it's yeah. so hard to focus versus like say a five megapixel autofocus, like what a lot of the ACE Siri Moto phones have. And that's actually usable. I mean, the quality is not going to be fantastic, but you'll be able to focus and you get five megapixels to play with so you know there's like a huge scale here of like holy this is good or bad in terms of performance and i'm kind of kind of gauging where the a52 fits in there but with that five megapixel if it's not autofocus it might as well be a two megapixel it doesn't do anything for you that's why i'm kind Mm -hmm. of curious but uh you know to me it's not a deal breaker because a lot of these phones just have extra cameras for the camera count right and that's part of the course in that category right yeah, yeah. There's I've I I can't tell you how many budget phones I've reviewed where there's just an extra camera that really does nothing. It's just it's just there so that the company can say we have three cameras. Where are the cameras? Yeah. Don't worry about it. It has three of them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the depth sensors are like that. It's like you know they're yeah. used for something maybe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like cool. yeah, like technically that's a camera, but like not in a way that's helpful. <laughs> exactly. So what do you think uh, overall? Like, would you recommend this phone for this price? You know, is this, is there any competition in that price point here in the US in particular where Samsung dominates with this A-series? And I guess abroad, the A-series is very popular in Europe as well. So, you know, is this, is this the one you would get at that price or you think there's something else out there you should be looking at? So this is in, in the US, this is $500. Uh, and I think for that price, it is really good. Like if that was where my budget was, I would probably go for this phone, partially because I'm used to Samsung phones. So I would first look for their thing in that price range. Right. But yeah, this is really good. There's, there's not a lot of competition in the U S in this, there's sort of like a dead zone between, 
the like $200, $300 Motorola phones, and then you jump up a couple more hundred bucks, you can get to an S21. There's, there's right. not a lot of action happening be- between those. So this is <laughs> one of the better options, if not the best. Um, the, o- the really only other competition here is you can get an older iPhone in this price range. You can get the new iPhone SE, which is it's definitely going to be a little bit of a faster phone than this, just because Apple's so far ahead with their chips. Um, and also uh, whatever pixel a phone you can you can get it at, at that point like a 45g a, by now right that's yeah, 500 yeah. bucks so yeah so this is this, it's really good I, I i'd recommend it um again the the only caveat is that this is a samsung phone so mm-hmm. it has all the like one ui is still kind of polarizing some people really like it i'm kind of somewhere in the middle where i i prefer it to stock android like it has some things that i i do miss going back to a pixel or something but it's still it's still a little bit feature overload like every time i get one of these phones i have to turn off five (laughs) or ten things uh like who uses the the app thing on the side no one uses that we don't need that anymore yep and also samsung still has a problem with advertising in their system apps yeah there's still ads in samsung Mm -hmm. health and the weather app and all these other nonsense so Overall, it's a good phone. There's still some, there's, there's the, the only downsides really are the same downsides you see with every Samsung phone. So ads in the system, uh, the, the camera is, it, it has a tendency to oversaturate photos sometimes. Some people like yeah. that, but definitely like there's there are many times I've taken a picture outside with a Samsung phone and the grass is just neon. Like it does not look like that in real life, real life. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, overall, it's good. Headphone jack? Yes. Yes, it does. Cool. So. And IP, any kind of IP certification or waterproofing signs of it, like a gasket around the SIM card or anything? It has IP67. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's actually pretty compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so don't leave it in the ocean, but like if you accidentally drop it in the toilet, if you fish it out quickly, it'll be, it'll be fine. Yeah, as a point of comparison, the Pixel 4a 5G, which costs about the same, does not have a water re- resistance rating. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm sure it's going to be okay if you just splash on it. But it's it's just, you know, it's nice that Samsung, you can tell because they're, they're such a big company that they can afford to get these certifications, which I mean, even OnePlus doesn't have IP certification on the OnePlus 9 unless you buy the T-Mobile version. We know they're identical. We know they yeah. probably would behave the same in water, but it's kind of interesting to see how much that you know costs i guess and uh when you're a big company like apple or samsung it's uh, pretty straightforward to do that so cool so speaking of pixels by the way you know i mentioned there's uh we got a lot of attention here on the podcast from uh, max being on the show revealing a bunch of things and there's more details coming out i uh saw that uh there's some info on the gpu of that Whitechapel chip that's been uh, that's been kind of like not well. I guess it's a leaked or or maybe revealed through some uh, some uh, developer stuff, and it looks like basically there is a um, similar GPU as what we found on Samsung's S twenty one, the Exynos version. So, as a developer, what's your take on that? Well, i i don't I don't want to attribute the the Pixel. Uh, five being sort of a flop to any one thing because I, I think it was a lot of things like Google, Google's just not good at selling phones generally, but also yes. the 
Pixel 5 was, it wasn't really what I think most of the Pixel fans were, were waiting for. They were waiting for this year's flagship. It wasn't technically a flagship. And it was a little bit dead on arrival because the S20 FE had just come out. And that was a better phone in almost every way. So it's it's good we're supposedly getting back to a flagship type device. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure about the this GPU being super exciting because I know uh, Samsung's Exynos chips. People usually tend to prefer the Snapdragon versions of their phones because Exynos is a little bit behind in GPU and For sure, CPU yeah. performance. But also, like also, Samsung has made some strides there, and they're working a little bit more closely with A and B on some IP and technology. So, I don't maybe may, maybe it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I I'm I'm interested to see where this goes, especially because the the design looks very different from the leaks we've seen. It looks a little bit like the um, Nexus Six P almost, where it's just got the yeah, bar exactly. on the top. So I'm I'm interested to see where this goes. I probably won't buy it because I've already I've already bought my phone for the year. But but <laughs> I I want to see where it goes. I'd like to see Google, you know, become more competitive because if if Samsung's the only company making phones, that doesn't really help anyone. No. So yeah, okay. Let's uh, switch gears to the. I mean, there's going to be more Pixel Six leaks. Like expect more. This is how it goes with Pixel phones every year. But um, you know. After having talked to Max last week and having seen what could be basically with the Pixel 6, as a Pixel and Nexus fan, first and foremost, I'm really looking forward to that Pixel 6 Pro and the specs and everything we're seeing. So I'll definitely keep you folks on top of it in the next few months. So yeah, let's see. There's a phone that was actually announced last week in Japan that is interesting. As you know, imaging is a thing for me. I'm really into cameras on phones. So I didn't have time to squeeze it in last week's show, but here it is. It is the Sharp Aquos R6. Japan only. Looks like a flagship, Snapdragon 888, all the, all the features you'd expect from a nice flagship. And Sharp has been making phones for years, especially for Japan. This is nothing unusual and new. What stands out here is that this has a basically a one-inch camera sensor on it. Interestingly, it only has one sensor in the back, but man, is it a sensor. Now, we don't know too much about it. For example, we don't know if it has OIS or not. But, um, I mean, I should probably do a bit more research it's been a week, so maybe now we know a little more. But this is about the same size 20 megapixel one-inch sensor that we find in Sony's RX100 compact point-and-shoot. Now, the RX series is really the Rolls-Royce of point-and-shoots. If you want the best point-and-shoots in the world, you always buy an RX100 series of some kind. Um, they're at like Mark 6 or 7 now or something. But the point is, this is this could be interesting. If you're in Japan, you know, because it's Japan only, this phone kind of caught my eye. You know, 6.6 .6 inch display, 120 hertz. Oh no, actually 240 hertz. Ooh. Wow, 240 hertz. <laughs> Just surprised at the <laughs> 240 hertz. That's that's a smooth phone. You know, Sharp is a leader in display, so this doesn't surprise me. This is an yeah. Ixo, which is, you know, Sharp's like top of the line OLED designation. And so to me, that, that means that this thing is a beast, you know. And I think the highest I've seen is 165 hertz on the Red Magic 6. 
Um, that's about as far as I've gone in refresh rate, but 240 hertz, wow. They're going straight out. 5,000 milliamp hour battery, 12 gigs of RAM. You know, um, this is a beast. I mean, if I was in Japan, I'd check that out. So f 1.9 is the lens's uh, aperture, and we don't know really else what else, you know, about the camera system. You know, it could be could be very good in low light because it's probably a very big sensor. It's only 20 megapixels, so it probably has pretty large pixels. But it, OIS or not is going to be a big thing. I, I really feel like optical image stabilization is pretty necessary, uh, especially on a phone like that if you want to lower the shutter speeds. I mean, you right. can do a lot of trickery with the ISP, but, you know, it never comes out. If you compare the OnePlus 9 right now, which has the same sensor as the OnePlus 8 Pro from last year, and the 8 Pro has OIS and the 9 doesn't have OIS, which is the stupidest, craziest decision OnePlus ever made. Like, they sell a OnePlus 9R, which is a rebadged, rebranded OnePlus 8T from last year in India with OIS. Like, the fact that they have a lesser phone with OIS than the OnePlus 9 is really tells you how cheap they went with this. But yeah. I could rant. If I have two rants on the show on a regular basis, Corbin, <laughs> it's OIS and wireless charging. Like, I want that to be a blanket thing anywhere anywhere from 400, 500 and up. It needs to be standard. Speaking of which, does the A52 have OIS? I doubt it. You know, I don't, don't know. know. Um, I'll, I'll find out for you. We'll, we'll figure this out I together. I mean, it'd be an interesting bit to know for the review, just like the autofocus on the macro. But anyway, look. This thing is cool. I wanted to include it because it's very rare that we get to cover phones from Japan. So there you go. Mm-hmm. We talked about Honor last week and how Honor is going to partner with uh, Qualcomm to get Snapdragon processors on their phones, you know, their upcoming 50 series. And that's right. exciting, of course, because it means that they might be coming to the US potentially, you know, they're no longer part of Huawei. But the other, you know, kind of like other half, the other shoe that needed to drop was GMS. The big question was, does this, these phones will have GMS or not? And yes, 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 yes. Honor has announced that they're going to be going GMS on these uh, Honor 50 phones. So that's exciting. I really love the Honor phones back in the day, especially pre-ban, because they had really good camera systems. You know, uh, the, the awesome performance from the... Huawei chips, and then they had GMS. So now, you know, we get the awesome performance of Qualcomm. I think it's a win. I hope to get a yeah. reunion. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- th- this was definitely the the goal of splitting away from Huawei is that we can make phones with, with the apps people want in a phone, so they'll buy our phones now. Um, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, so this is good. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would like to see more honor phones you're right that their their cameras were pretty spectacular huawei was doing wild things with smart photo cameras pre-ban like i think they were probably ahead of samsung and apple almost um so it was a yeah. shame, shame that yeah. they you know got banned in the u.s well, so and- what's nice about honor right now is they're still inheriting a lot of engineering from yeah. huawei they split and took with them so i think on the camera front they have a lot of the expertise i wouldn't be surprised if this honor phone has the same 50 megapixel or 40 megapixel sensor we saw right. on some of the huawei's flagships from last year um and and just kind of carried over but with a with a qualcomm isp and some slightly tuned software you know, but inheriting maybe some of the Leica goodness because the Honor phones always had some of the Leica goodness without any of the Leica branding because of the Huawei connection. And then, you know, GMS, of course, to make us all happy. So I'm, I'm stoked. Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Yeah. 
especially since uh, Honor isn't tied to making budget phones anymore. Nope, exactly. So USB Type-C 2.1 spec was announced. And the only thing that stood out to me, which should stand out to anyone, frankly, is a 240-watt charging OMG. What's your take on this? Especially since you cover PCs, right? Like, this is really a PC play, like a laptop play. Right. Like, there's not... I, I don't think there's going to be a phone soon that can do 240-watt charging. No. I, I think at some point you hit the barrier of physics and you just get a phone that explodes. Uh... It's I it's it's interesting. My I'm I'm hesitant about this for the same reason I'm hesitant whenever USB announces anything where the the standards are are a little bit too loose and then when this finally shows up, I'm trying to mix and match like which chargers have the extra bits that let them talk and do the faster speeds. Yeah. Uh, like like I was like I was doing uh, charging testing for the A52 earlier and Samsung says on paper it's supposed to get 25 watt fast charging and I tried a bunch of different uh, type C wall plugs couldn't get anything and I finally got the Samsung type C wall adapter that I got as an extra on my S21 and that was able to do 25 watts because it has the extra huh. like PPS thing that Samsung wants. So oh, like PPS. this is all a yeah, this is all a mess and I don't think it's going to get better with this. Um it would no. be nice to have like gaming laptops that use USB-C. That's exactly where I was going with this. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's why you know as a PC gamer a reporter yourself, I'm like this could solve a problem that we're seeing on the gaming laptops where USB they can charge on USB-C but slowly and or they cannot game on USB-C. Right. They have to have the special coax brick, which is generally like a 200 or 300 watt monster. And I mean, this is still 240, which might not be enough for some gaming laptops, but I think it's getting us closer to where we want to be. And I mean, I appreciate it. I think that this seems to be an outgrowth of PD in many ways. So I think it will see adapters, chargers that are, backwards compatible with PD down to 65 or whatever, and even 30 on right. that are up capable of the 240 full on, you know, goodness. I, I think it's a good, it's good news overall. Right. It's surprising that they can do this higher wattage on such a, on such a flimsy connector in my opinion, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not, there's surprisingly small number of pins, but yeah, like at least like worst case scenario with this, you can at least take the wall plug from your laptop and use it with your phone, hopefully. Um, may maybe not use the phone charger or, or some other third-party option with the laptop, but at least going down, it will hopefully work. Yeah. Speaking of laptops, Snapdragon 7C Gen 2 was announced by Qualcomm last week, so that's exciting. And it's geared towards, you know, affordable entry-level, I guess, laptops in Windows as well as, you know, Windows on ARM as well as uh, Chromebooks. And we're probably going to hear more about this at Computex, which is happening very soon. It's a, still a virtual event this year, but I used to go to Taipei to cover it because I love being in Taipei and Computex is a great show, even though I'm not like a hardcore PC type of person. But um, yeah, um, so we'll find out more. But right now, all we know is that, you know, it seems to be a, basically a clock speed bump and it has built-in 4G, of course, LTE, and uh, they promise multi-day battery life on these devices. So it'll be interesting to see at what price points they consider low-end or entry-level. But the reality is that we now have another chip from Qualcomm designed to power lightweight, affordable, thin, 
you know, PCs for just everyday productivity. And I'm on board. I, I think, you know, I have an M1 MacBook Air and I've been, you know, I only basically bought it because I promised myself years ago when the rumors started, like probably about a decade ago, that one day, you know, with, with Apple making their own chips for their phones, that one day they'd make their own ARM chips for their Macs. And I've, I was like, I cannot wait for that because for the longest time, I've been buying the the lightest, thinnest MacBooks I could buy as my portable travel machines for work as a journalist. So I had a MacBook Air, the original with a little door flap on the side that popped down. Um, Then I had, I went from that to a MacBook Air 11 when the new one came out. And then I went to the MacBook 12 inch when it came out, the very underpowered Intel M, Core M, whatever. Um, and honestly, it lasted me for five years, even though it was a little slow. I, I learned to manage the tabs and stuff, and I was fine. And you could do 1080p video editing, no problem on that thing. So then, you know, obviously I had to buy the M1 MacBook Air because it was the first ARM-powered Apple laptop. And for me, it's also the lighter, thinner one of them. But it's not light and thin enough for me. So I'm kind of hoping that, you know, we see a proliferation of more ARM-based thin and light laptops, whether running Windows 10 for ARM or running Chrome OS, or in the case of Apple running Mac OS. Um, I would love them to replace the 12-inch MacBook with something similar. Maybe the next-gen MacBook Air will be that laptop for me. And uh, I'll definitely upgrade then because, honestly, I it's amazing. Like my I keep saying this on the show. I know I sound like a broken record. You haven't heard this, Corbin, but my MacBook Air M1, it it, it outruns my Core i5 three-year-old 27-inch iMac that I'm using to do the show right now, right here in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I think a lot of it is I.O. because I have an SSD that's an, an external SSD on that. Even though it's Thunderbolt, it's still, I think, constrained somewhat by the chipsets that are behind it. Um, and it's not internal, but yeah, it's just, it got really expensive three years ago to configure an iMac with a, with a SSD built in and it was built to, built to order as well. You had to buy it specially. And I've always bought all my Macs with SSD. So I was like, well, it does have Thunderbolt. So I'll put a Thunderbolt SSD and boot from that, which is what I'm doing. And, but it's just, you know, I feel like my, my MacBook Air M1 just, just, it's just so, so sprightly, so just jump jumps everything just snaps and goes and it's kind of amazing really and uh yeah so i obviously we're not quite there with windows 10 on arm it's not as super fast but yeah yeah i'm i'm still waiting for qualcomm to make something akin to the m1 they haven't hit that i don't think they're going to hit that for a long time just apple is so far ahead of everyone else and they won't you know they're keeping their chips for their stuff so we're not gonna we're not gonna get a Windows laptop one unless bootcamp comes back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm 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 eagerly awaiting Qualcomm to make a M1 level chip. This is not it. A this real is, competitor. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, is more of the it. yeah. This is more of the we got to make a four hundred dollar laptop that uh, carriers can sell with a monthly fee for for data. So may, maybe one day we're getting one one day Qualcomm will figure it out. No worries. Okay, so the next thing on the agenda here is interesting, and it's Infinix, that company from... It's an interesting company because I think it's a French company um, that gets phones made, I think, 
in various places. And I think they might have a factory in China, but I'm not sure. Anyway, they've been sending me some f- affordable phones with decent specs and different performance. That's pretty interesting. And they're now launching a line of laptops called the InBooks. So uh, they're affordable. They're not. The, Infinix is not sold in the US, so this uh, shouldn't matter to you if you're based in the US. But uh, there's a two models, an InBook X1 and an InBook Pro. The X1 is either Core i3 or Core i5. The InBook Pro is Core i7. Uh, we don't really have too much in terms of specs here, but... Uh, this is, uh, you know, comes out, the X1, the, the smaller, basic, more basic one is selling, starting in Egypt, Indonesia, and Nigeria for 530 US dollars, which as you can see is pretty affordable. I mean, there is cheaper laptops than that from HP and the rest of them out there, but these don't look like they suck. Like they're, you know, they, they're nice looking laptops, at least the, the photos that they sent us, you know, they're pretty thin, 16.3 millimeters three pounds. So, you know, they could be kind of like what Honor does, right? They they have these laptops that we can't get, but they are quite nice premium-ish affordable laptops. And I think this is kind of what this falls into. So it's not trying to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel in terms of performance and, uh, and, and you know, quality, but it's a little higher than that, but still very affordable. So I just thought I'd mention it simply because, well, you know, I didn't know Infinix was making laptops. So there you go. Any thoughts on that? I mean, you're a PC gamer. You're not going to want to care about this thing to game on, but. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, it is impressive to me. Like, I, I think I'm seeing the same rapid evolution with laptops that we're seeing on, like, like going back to the Galaxy A50. Like, there's this nice middle range that doesn't quite exist here. Um, that's that's starting to become better. Like there's always been like four hundred and five hundred dollar laptops, but they've always been terrible, right? They've yeah, exactly. got really yeah. old chips. They've got not enough RAM. A lot of them, even just a couple of years ago, most of them had spinning hard disks. Like, why are we putting oh those God, in laptops? Does that still now? exist? I yeah, didn't know that yeah, existed. They're 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 definitely going away now, which is good. Like we're like I, you know, it's it's always nice to see laptops in you know the four hundred, five hundred, six hundred range that have regular ssds they have enough ram they have pretty good screens we're starting to also move away from that terrible uh 768p displays so it's 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 nice i like seeing this yeah no that's exactly why i post like a lot of people are like well, what, what what do we care i'm like it's the same yeah. reason i care about the infinix phones it's like yes yeah you can't get them here you you can certainly import them but they are pretty spectacular for the price like they are not crap which you know initially when i they first pitched me these infinix phones i was like okay another you know blue or whatever kind of special and no it's not it's not like that it's actually a little better than that and so yeah good stuff um before we jump on the final topic which is just really again a bit of news from last week that i couldn't squeeze in i did want to add one more thing in here we kind of touched on the red magic 6 earlier and there is a new red magic phone that was announced actually i saw that this morning this red magic 6r is really compelling to me because it's a hybrid between a gaming phone, like a hardcore Red Magic 6 with the fan and the shoulder buttons and the front-facing speakers, which means that you have a chin and a forehead in terms of bezels. It's it's a kind of a hybrid between that and like a Galaxy S21, like a, an actual flagship phone. So it still has shoulder buttons, but it has a full screen 
bezel-less display that has a hole punch, which obviously is a compromise for gaming, but makes the phone a little more compact. Doesn't have a fan in it. It still has a Snapdragon 888, of course, and all those trimmings, but doesn't have a fan, so you're going to get some thermal issues and throttling potentially, but you know, probably not enough to be a real issue. And it's elegant. It has a lot more cameras, four of them, instead of the three crappy ones that are on the 6. Uh, so this is potentially a better camera system on the 6R. Um, 400 hertz touch sampling, 144 hertz refresh rate, 8 or 12 gigs of RAM. 64 megapixel main camera, probably no OS or whatever because our Red Magic never does that. 30 watt charging in the rest of the world, 55 watt in China. That was interesting to me that that difference is there. 4,200 milliamp hour battery, so not quite as beefy a battery as on the dedicated Red Magic phones, right? But hey, you know, it's cool. So what do you think? Well, this is not related to anything you just said but i do really like this yellow version <laughs> that they made for some game with tencent where it's got like a yellow streak down the side yeah that looks cool right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i like i like more colors in in phones that we need to go back to doing fun colors like apple apple's doing a little bit of, of that again yeah and samsung's doing pretty good with i think the purples and the pinks and stuff yeah. lately i really enjoy that $470 for the base model is roughly what it translates to from Chinese currency. And then $627. Again, these are pretty aggressive prices. China, a lot of this subsidized through services and stuff. But it, chances are, if it comes to North America at some point, I hope it does, frankly, it'll be like 500 bucks, which at that price is a pretty compelling option. And you get the trigger button. So, you know, if you are a gamer, you kind of get a, again, it's a hybrid. I kind of like it. I think it's cool. Yeah. All right. So the final topic is a little off, you know, uh, you know, a little off topic, not really off topic, because you know that I consider, you know, car technology to be mobile technology because it's in a device that's mobile, right? <laughs> that self propels uh, in the world. So, you know, I'm a big car enthusiast. I've owned and owned many vehicles over the years and, you know, particularly sporty manual transmission cars and things. And I have a Tesla Model 3. And I like electrification and I like a lot of the technologies used in vehicles today that are basically kind of stemming from uh, a lot of the mobile tech. There's just essentially a lot of the mobile tech that we use on our phones is helpful in these, you know, these vehicles nowadays, like vision algorithms and camera systems and, you know, uh, arm-based you know, high-performance GPUs and and uh, machine learning, whatever, new, whatever, NPUs or whatever you want to call them, AI processors, basically. So, you know, because of that, I feel this is important. I'm not a truck person. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really care, but I get that it's really important, especially in the US. And Ford launched its F-150 Lightning before last week's show last week. And I think it's going to be a game changer. I think this is going to be the, the the vehicle, not just the truck, but the vehicle that's going to drag America kinking and screaming into, into electrification and into the future. It has all the things you need. It has a decent range, 230 miles base and 300 miles on the on more expensive versions. It has fast charging. It can reverse the charge flow basically if you have the right equipment in your home to power your home in a power outage anyone who had their pipes freeze in texas during that horrible cold spill recently will be very happy to know they could use their truck to power their home for up to three or four days they say on a charge 
uh, more if you're conservative. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, it's got a big frunk where the engine will normally be, which is a front trunk. In Tesla speak, we call it a frunk. And it's huge. It's about the same size as the trunk on a big sedan or SUV, right? Like it's mm -hmm. So if you have tools or whatever you want to keep dry and away from theft, this is a solution. A lot of truck buyers have this problem, apparently, that they can't find a place to put their stuff because the bed is not secure and not water resistant. It has outlets everywhere, so you can plug your power tools and uh, work away. Uh, no need for a generator on the job site, basically. And of course, you know, all the features of like, you know, some of the uh, driver assists and stuff and the fancy entertainment and on Android Auto and, you know, all that you know, CarPlay and stuff. So, you know, the best part of it, it looks like a truck. It is an F-150. It has the same ecosystem. So it uses the same, you know, truck caps and accessories for the bed and all that. All that works. Like you don't have to, it's not a custom design, which is unlike like the Cybertruck or any of the other promised upcoming electric trucks where you're going to have to buy special accessories. So this is, I think, a huge deal. Um, and I think once people get behind the wheel and experience the torque and the seamless, not having to, trans to change gears or anything that electric provides, they're just going to go nuts with it. It's not going to be ideal if you tow because towing is going to kill the range. But I think it's pretty exciting. Are you are you into cars? Are you a, even a truck driver or something? Is this appealing to you? Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my last car was a Nissan Leaf. So I've, I've lived the EV life. I had to go back to yes. a gas car. <laughs> unfortunately just because the the range on on that car was deteriorating yeah. very quickly and uh and it's I also need... very temperature sensitive because it doesn't have a cooled or heated battery pack right yeah i wish i knew that before i bought it <laughs> uh but yeah and i need to go you know from i'm in um, raleigh north carolina now i need to go back to georgia every once in a while so it's leaf wouldn't have been able to do that so i went back i'm on no. a uh just a normal gas honda icona now so I'm not, I'm not really a truck person, but part of that was always like, I don't, I don't have a need for a, a truck and I prefer a little bit smaller part, um, smaller frame so I can park between the people who have large trucks. Um, and also, you know, I, because I don't need it, the, the extra gas consumption that comes from a truck was just, it, it would have been crazy, but you know, this doesn't have that issue. It's an EV, uh, and it yeah it it looks nice ford seems to be going for a little bit of like a mix between normal car design and sort of mm -hmm. the, the tesla and like it's very clear they're inspired by the tesla like giant screen in the console i don't really like those like i per much prefer having physical buttons but it still has a lot of physical buttons um like they also mentioned it fully works with uh, carplay and android auto which yep, teslas yep, don't yep. that's a selling point but yeah, no, this looks nice. And again, like this is this is Ford. They don't have. I don't know how much experience they have with EVs, but they have a lot of experience building cars. So I think because they've announced this, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, like we're gonna get this. Like this isn't like all the all the other startups that are trying to make EV trucks and they end up not doing it because there's so much work involved to bring a car or a truck or anything to market. Yeah. 
but this is this is Ford. I don't think they would announce this and then just you know it's you know it's not baked on lies and uh, no no it's real yeah. and and you know it's coming next year. It'll probably be delayed a little bit, like the Mac E was. You know they have another uh, small SUV not called the Mustang Mac E. They mm-hmm. basically they're taking all their big, well-known, like popular sporty brands. Like Lightning was actually a pickup truck that was a performance pickup truck. In uh, the 90s, it was an F-150, basically like a Raptor would be today. And they're going to, you know, they're taking these brands and re- reusing them. Uh, Mustang mach a lot of people are upset that the Mustang mach is a small SUV. I'm not a big SUV, even small SUV person. But I think from a marketing perspective, it made perfect sense. And the mach has been pretty successful. And it was a bit delayed coming out, but it competes well with the Model Y, which is the, uh, SU- the small SUV or CUV that... that uh, that Tesla makes. So I think that no, this is this is this is solid. This is real. That's kind of what I'm basing a lot of my opinion on here is that they've already delivered this powertrain essentially, um, you know, but in a in a unibody small SUV format. Right. Um, so we know they can do it. This all all the Ford F-150 Lightnings are four-wheel drive uh, because they have a dual motor setup front and back. Um, so you don't sacrifice anything. You were talking about the tablet thing. The base model, like the the smaller, especially the one geared for fleets, actually has a regular 12-inch display there. And that like the one that looks, the, the regular 12-inch display looks like basically what you have in a gas F-150. But it has all the same software functionality, just scaled down in size, so it doesn't look quite as outlandish. Mm -hmm. That big screen you see on a lot of the PR materials is from the super high-end models. Okay. um, Which can go up to 90. If you want, like, I think a Platinum Edition, which is, like, the highest trim that Ford makes, it's 90K, right? Like, so, you know, that's the other thing we didn't talk about. The price is insane. It starts at 40K for the very base model, 230-mile range with the small display primarily geared towards fleet sales uh it's actually called the ford f-150 lightning pro for professionals like for fleets and that thing is 40k and 40k you still get the 7500 federal discount on that that's actually cheaper than buying an f-150 gas powered oh the same I, trend. Has, so ford hasn't hit that limit or no they, they haven't hit it yet was no, there was there haven't. a new one introduced or it's just it's still nope, the original they haven't okay. introduced you know, the, the biden government is talking about introducing yeah. a new one but it hasn't been done yet this is still on the old on the old one okay that's that's funny because yeah they're so late that it works out yeah that's another thing like 3250 is going to be the price you pay for the base model if you want it like that's mm-hmm. that's really compelling there's very few cars with that range never mind trucks that are evs right now you know, for me, going the, the reason I went Tesla Model 3, and I've had it for three years, I'm actually upgrading my Model 3 to a new one. I've decided that it's time to get the latest goodies, is that, you know, I went because of charging network, range, range first, charging network second, and third, it was all the all the tech, right? The, the assisted, like, autopilot, all that stuff, driver assist. But, frankly... You know, I used to have a home in Portland, Oregon, as well as my place in San Francisco. And I used to commute between the two in my Tesla all the time. And it was perfectly feasible Mm -hmm. with a range of 315 miles on that car of stopping at superchargers every, you know, it would take me about three or four stops, about 40 minutes each. And I would be just like eating a sandwich and watching some- Get to stand up, walk around. Star Trek Voyager on the the Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the main screen on the uh, Model 3 has Netflix, so you can just watch TV shows or whatever you want. Uh, go for a walk, go to the bathroom. Honestly, half the time, 
we'd go to the restroom, get a snack or something, and then it'd be almost time to go. So people think, make a much bigger fuss about it. Very few people actually realize that when they stop to get gas for their car on a, on a, on a long highway trip, they're spending 15, 20 minutes at that gas station. Okay. So now double that. It's not that big of a deal. Like, yes, it seems weird when you're not used to it, but once you start using it, it actually feels really nice because you're actually taking a break. You can stretch, you can walk. It's much better for your health, you know, Mm -hmm. and the car is quick enough that if you want to catch up time, you know, you can, (laughs) it's going to be very fast. Yeah. Have they said what the charging network situation is? Like, are they using the, I guess, Electrify America? stations yeah so you know you have to understand there's essentially two charging networks in the u.s right now right right? um and there's a few outliers that are no longer compatible like the the chatomo networks for nissan leaf right Right. because the only one using chatomo uh for in terms so in terms of dc fast charge you get supercharging which is tesla proprietary and then you have dc fast charging which is universal in the u.s there's a connector for the u.s is different than the connector in europe but it's a connector that's standardized ford's using that standard and uh they are also partnering with Electrify America to have a complete seamless experience. So the big issue you probably experience with your Leaf is that you have to go to a station and every station has its own network, like ChargePoint or EVgo mm-hmm. or whatever. You have to have the app or a little fob, like, you know, like NFC fob to start charging. And the transaction is completely separate from your vehicle. One of the things that makes Tesla so great is you plug into supercharging. That's it. It talks with the charging network. It has your VIN number and it bills you. You have a credit card on file, it bills you, right? It's automatic. You don't have to do a thing. You just plug in and it just works. But with Electrify America, depending on which vehicle you have, you still have to do the the song and dance of using a separate app and or fob. But Ford is the first to integrate seamlessly with Electrify America, wherein you plug your vehicle and it just does a transaction. It has a credit card on file with Ford and it talks to Electrify America and boom, it's supposed to happen that way. Mm-hmm. And so far with the Mac ESUV, the Mustang, it seems to be working pretty well. Strangely, as you know, uh, the Electrify America network was created by Volkswagen as kind of like a, you know, uh, slap on the wrist for the, uh, for the diesel gate. Right. Yeah. And it's essentially a Volkswagen thing. But the Volkswagen ID4, the, the first big mainstream small SUV electric car from Volkswagen sold now in the US. It supports Electrify America because it supports the standard, but it doesn't do the integration uh, (laughs) seamlessly. So can you believe that they completely failed on that? I I just find it ridiculous. They say it's coming, but I'm like, how did you ship that? that You are like Ford beat you to your own feature. It's crazy. Yeah, this is definitely like the missing piece that everyone except Tesla usually gets wrong. Like this, that... Like th- this was like I-, I knew about all the different charging plugs and and the various networks before I got my Leaf, but of course when I got it, this would be the worst part of of driving trips, you know. Like I- it's a Leaf, so I'm already trying to like hyper mile a little bit <laughs> because you know it the the Gen ones did not have that great range and mine was already used and everything else, but like there were so many times where I would, you know, you have to plot out where they are on the map and make sure you get there before you die. And then once you get there, if it's a different charging network than you've used before, you have to sit there for five or 10 minutes and make an account on your phone and add the credit card yep. and scan it. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible experience. So it's good they're doing this. My worry here is that it seems like Electrify America, they're, they're, they're still not, uh, I, don't, I don't know where they're at now, but at least when I had my leaf, it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of 
those stations? No, they're, they're still, I would say they're at about one-tenth of what supercharging network yeah. is. I mean, they're really working hard to yeah. to build up stations, but it's not even remotely in the same league. Like, yeah. I've had my Tesla for three years, and even when I bought it three years ago, it was still widespread enough that I could pretty much decide to go anywhere on a cross-country trip and be fine. Right. Like, as long as I stayed on the major freeways, I was okay. Today, three years later, I can even go in the boonies and get supercharging. It's it's really impressive what Tesla's done. And it makes a huge difference. And then you add the range. My car has a technically a range of uh, 315 miles. Right now, the new one I'm getting, the, my newer Model Three is going to have 353 miles, so even more. Right now, and you never charge fully 100%. It's not good for the battery. So usually, I charge it to about you know 280, and then probably the new one I'll charge it to 300, 310. But at the most, you know, like if I go on a long road trip and I'm really stuck, I can charge 100% once in a while. It's not going to hurt the battery. But okay. you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Well, anyway, listen, we should wrap it up, Corbin. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your social media handles? Obviously, you write at XDA, et cetera. Yeah. If you go to Corbin, C-O-R-B-I-N dot I-O, I have all the links there. I'm at Corbin Davenport on Twitter. Um, I also have other social things there that are, are convenient spellings. Yeah. And I'm writing at XDA and PC Gamer and all these other places. So. So yeah, folks, follow Corbin, and you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but drop the vowels. That's my handle on Twitter and on Instagram. Twitter is a place where you can speak with Corbin and me about this podcast, questions, comments, whatever. Bring them on on Twitter. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures taken with the phones I'm reviewing and pretty pictures of the phones I'm reviewing. So check that out. We have two YouTube channels that go with this uh, podcast. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast is the main channel where I put a lot of unboxing videos to give you some visual additions to this primarily audio podcast. So check out the channel, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. Uh, You also get some every now and then some reviews and some hands-ons and stuff, but it's mostly unboxings. The second channel is youtube.com slash mobile tech more. That's kind of a new channel that we're creating. My producer and I, we're still trying to create some content for it, but please subscribe because we want to be able to monetize. So the more subscribers we get, the closer we get to monetizing. It's going to be a channel all about kind of like the ancillary tech around the mobile ecosystem. So smart home, travel tech, vehicles, that kind of stuff. Please subscribe, tell your friends and like and all that stuff. Finally, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you came here and followed Corbin and you've never subscribed or listened, please subscribe. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify. There's an RSS feed at that URL. And, uh, you know, if your app supports rating the show or reviewing the show, please do. We'd appreciate that. Also, if you want to help the podcast, there's a Patreon, patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. We have some great goodies there for you, including a Discord server you can join. And more importantly, you can see this podcast, not just hear it, see it every week before the audio public version is is launched. And it's unedited, raw. Basically, right after this is done, I'm going to edit a video and put it on Patreon. So join the Patreon, folks. There's also a donate link if you don't want to do Patreon. It's a PayPal button thing. You can donate some money there. That'd be great. Finally, I want to thank 
our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com has been with us since the early days. They're pretty awesome platforms. If you love books as much as I do, but you want to listen to them instead of read them, we have a special deal for you. You get a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end. So it's a pretty good deal. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. What I like about Audible is that they have an incredible selection of books and a lot of them are read by the authors. And more importantly, it's like epic. You know, it's like nine hours of reading so you're not going to listen to it in one sitting maybe on a road trip you might but you're just like take an hour here an hour there it's kind of like reading a real book but you your eyes don't get tired you can just like lay down there with your headphones close your eyes and but if you love books and you want them read to you audible is your solution audibletrial.com slash mobile tech check out the deal help them help us I want to thank Audible for being a long time sponsor of the show and I want to thank you Corbin for being my guest today thanks so much for coming Thanks. It it was it was fun to talk about everything from uh, trucks to uh, chargers. Somehow, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the podcast is like. Yeah. We'll have you on again sometime, Corbin. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by WorldPodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.